welcome to the Training Design Podcast, a approximately 45 minutes of tips and insights for practical training design with me, Sheridan Webb of Keystone Development and Training. And me, Terry Pierce of 360 Learning Design. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how planning isn't the same as designing, why designing in detail is essential when designing for other facilitators, and what's different about designing for others to deliver. We'll also be providing lots of tips for designing for the facilitators so that everyone benefits, the delegates, the facilitator themselves, and of course, the organisation. Sheridan, I know that you were really keen to talk about this topic today. Uh, Why do you think it's important? I think it's really important because um, there's a massive difference between planning a good session and designing a good session. In my mind, that's probably semantics. But um, I've worked with lots of great facilitators who, who are really, really good. You know, they, they, they deliver a fantastic session and say they can design a great session. And then when you look at what they think is a great design, there, there's clearly um, a mismatch there between what's on the paper and what happens in the training room. So I think it is a skill that people may argue is not actually necessary but i think it is um, based on all my experience of working particularly with large corporates who get nervous when the trainer says trust me it'll be great they like to see something on paper that reassures them that it will be great so i think improving design skills is something that all professional um, learning facilitators can probably benefit from Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good insight. I remember um, making the transition myself from designing uh, for me uh, and then having to design for other people and, and, and really going through a process of saying, oh, actually, I need to put so much more on the page than, than I had been doing. Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, quite early on in my career, I worked with them. Um, I was already specializing in training and design at that stage. And I worked with, um, she was a great facilitator. I and mean, she, you know, she really was but she was asked to design a session on her specialist subject and she really did not know where to start. And it was quite an eye-opener for me that someone who clearly knew the subject so well just literally could not put that down on paper. But it was one of those occasions where things had to be signed off at multiple levels before the training was given the go-ahead. So Mm. I remember coaching her through that. um, And like you said, realising there's a lot more to it than it appears, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that, that ability for it to be signed off, I think, is really important then that, that it's on the page so that people can see it again rather than in someone's head. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think you've spoken before about a difference between kind of planning and, and designing. And could you maybe say a little bit more about what you think is the difference between those two? Yeah, it, you know, it may be semantics because I've got into conversations before, um, particularly in the Training Designers Club, about designing and developing. People use different words. And I think that has somehow come from the ADDI model, which you may be familiar with if you're listening in. Um, ADDI is a, a, a design model that's used particularly by e-learning developers, and that stands for Analysis, Design, Develop, implement and evaluate so in that model the design is what i would call the planning so that's very much the top line this is what we're going to cover and this is why we're going to cover it whereas i think the design phase is where we add all those layers of detail which in the addy model is what they call the develop um, which is where all the all the little bits go into it so i think sometimes there's a bit of confusion and that's just the words that we use um, but you're, you're quite right is that it's about how much information you give the facilitator because 
you don't want them to mind read. If you make it hard for the facilitator, they are going to take things in a slightly different direction. Um, they're going to make things up. Um, they're going to throw your session plan out of the window. Mm. And one of the things that really brought it home to me is a, a couple of examples, really. Quite early on in my career, I was asked to deliver a session that someone else had designed. And it said, it said tell the admirable Crichton story. And that was it. There was nothing else. I'm showing my age here, but this is the days before we had Google. <laughs> so, so I had no way of knowing what this admirable Crichton story was. So obviously I missed it out mm. and therefore didn't really know what learning points that was supposed to pull out. Um, and then a more recent activity, I was supporting um, a really good facilitator. Um, he just needed some help putting together more of the delegate materials um, for the program that he was running. And the instruction was run the broken squares activity with absolutely no instruction as to what that was. Obviously, he knew what that was, and he was mm. comfortable with how long it would take and how to run it and what the learning points were going to be. But what if someone had had to step in and cover him at the last minute? Mm. They, would, they would have had no clue. And I think that's um, our duty as learning designers is to make it so that any competent facilitator could pick up a training course, uh, as long as it's obviously not entirely specialist in its nature, and run it and run it um, with a certain degree of consistency and in the way that was planned or signed off by the client. Great. Yeah, no, I think you raised a few things that are really important there, like the linking into objectives so that whoever's picking it up knows what each thing is supposed to achieve and definitely that consistency across different people. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a lot of uh, trainers, facilitators who don't really like using other people's materials though. I think that's a bit of a thing in this area. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And I totally understand it. Um, I mean, particularly if it hasn't been designed well, because the, the time you spend trying to understand what it is you're supposed to deliver, you can almost think, well, I could have just written it myself. Why am I going through this? And I think a lot of the time trainers, I think the problem is, is when there's either not enough detail or there's too much, because sometimes people get given what feels very much like a script. And obviously you and I both know because we both do facilitate as well is that great training is often about that connection in the room mm. um, and being able to bring out your personality and, you know, tell the stories and connect with the people there. So if you feel restricted by a very detailed script, that kind of takes all that away from you. Um, and I think there's also the loss of control sometimes, especially if they're covering something that they're not necessarily an expert in. So they don't want to feel that they're compromising the value that they're adding. So I do understand the um, nervousness, I guess, about mm. working to someone else's plan. But a well-designed training plan should allow the best of both worlds. Mm. Um, and the way I think of it, it gives really clear hooks to hang it on. It gives you a, a a fully operational toolkit it is very much like giving somebody a toolkit you know so or a recipe even a recipe and here's all the ingredients but you can still actually you know season it to suit and you know you can garnish it how you want and you can serve it with the sides as you see fit but ultimately you're delivering the thing that has been ordered for mm. want of a better word yeah i like the recipe analogy i think that's really good and actually you could, you could even push that analogy a bit further you could say well some things are a bit like baking as in you need to follow them absolutely for some particular topics or some particular things other things that are a bit like you know a stir fry where actually you can kind of have a lot of freedom but then but, yeah. you know the the uh the session plan should make that clear how much freedom there is 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a really good point, actually, Terry. And certainly when I write um, my session plans, I do highlight, you know, this must be covered because it's something that the client has insisted. And sometimes I offer two or th even three alternatives. So let's say that we are covering, um, I don't know, something about something quite generic. So you know, clarity in your communication. Um, so I will put two or three options to say, well, you know, you can do this exercise or you can do this exercise. Or, and I sometimes even have written it in, if you want to run a different activity, go ahead as long as you are able to bring out these learning points. So that can work as a nice halfway house, I think, in, in getting that balance between delivering what the client wants and feeling that you're in control of your own training session. Mm, good stuff. Um, so I think we're getting on to some of the how and the practical tips here, which is great. Is there anything else we uh, is worth just saying about why we might need to design, you know, kind of why and when we might need to design training for others to run? Well, you might probably um, expect me to feel very strongly that you must always design in detail, um, even if um, I mean, I was running a program last year and the, I researched it, I designed it, I delivered it. But um, I am just one person. Mm. And what happens if I got really sick the day before and I needed to send a substitute? Um, they needed to be able to pick that material up and run it um, because I am only one person. I think another another reason that we often need to um, design in detail is I work with large organisations, for example. So we will have the same workshop running in multiple locations or over a, over a length of time. So it's really important that the client feels that no matter if you're in Edinburgh or Hull or Bristol, that people are getting more or less the same event. The danger is if, if you don't do that and you say, right, we want time management training, um, we want it in Manchester, we want it in Bristol, and you, you source your trainers, and the, the person in, in Manchester focuses very much on scheduling tools and using Outlook effectively and things like that, and then the person in Bristol decides, we've got to listen to your body and you know, think about your own energy levels. They're both time management courses but they are incredibly different. So I think designing in detail helps to avoid that. It can also make it easier to manage for a client organization because they only have to deal with the designer rather than say half a dozen deliverers. So the designer then also be, almost becomes the hub of that. So they work with the stakeholders, they do all that research, and then they will brief the trainers um, both verbally and obviously through their design. And it's also it makes your prep easier. So even as a deliverer and I design in detail for myself, when I then come to deliver and it may be you know, six weeks down the line, um, my personal prep is a lot shorter and it's a lot easier because I've done all the hard work in advance. And Terry, the difference between prep and design is a whole other podcast, which I could talk about for ages. Um, but so I won't talk about that there, but just to say that one does enable the other. Great. Let's say that somebody has bought into the need to design for other facilitators, uh, either because that's what the client needs or because, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're buying into some of those benefits that we were just talking about. Go into the practical stuff. What do they need to do differently? The main thing, I think, Terry, is what is what you alluded to, really, when you first started working and designing for other people. It, it's the level of detail that we need to go into. We need to make the implicit or what we assumed, we need to make that explicit. We need to put everything down on paper, not word for word. Um, I tend to use bullet points rather than, you know, scripting things out. But we do have to write in detail. We have to make links and signpost things 
quite a lot. So particularly I, I will, so, so I'm writing a section and I'll say, you know, refer back to something that we covered earlier in the day or this, you know, don't go too far into this discussion because we're picking it up in the afternoon. So help show the facilitator where you're going with things. I think that's really important. And to highlight the red threads throughout the course, it just helps to keep people on track. And you know, that's really, really important if you are designing a program, so more than one event. One of my core programs, which is being run at the moment, I have to be quite clear, you know, delegates will probably want to talk about um, having a difficult conversation. It's okay to touch on it, but they cover that in detail in one of the other workshops. So we don't want to steal someone else's thunder. Mm. Sometimes we have to explain our reasoning, again, just to give the facilitator that reassurance, um, where we're going and what we're doing with things. And we have to check our assumptions as well. It's just fine. You assume very little because what will happen is as they are preparing to run it, the facilitator will make their own shortcut notes. Hmm. Obviously, we all do that anyway. So if it's something that they know well and they think, yeah, I don't really need that detail, they'll, they'll put that down in a couple of bullet points on their own. If it's something that's new to them or an exercise they haven't run before, they'll leave it in longhand, as it were. So don't it, more is always better than too much is always better than not enough, I guess. Hmm. The other things is we need to make sure that specialist skills aren't essential. Again, I was I was redesigning a, a program for a client last year, and th what they'd written was good. Don't get me wrong; it was fine. It was it. it we needed to do different levels of it. So it was a case of um, picking it apart and, and redistributing it really. But one of the courses said, start the course by juggling. Uh, straight away I thought, <laughs> okay, so the person who designed this is obviously very proud of their juggling skills, but I can't juggle. Um, so provide an alternative or don't put it in at all. So yeah, so that's yeah. really important. Definitely. Um, and I've I already think... mentioned Go on. No, I was going to say, I, I can barely juggle one ball, never mind two. So yeah, that would, that would have had me flummoxed, definitely. Yeah, so I think that's really important. And I think the other thing which I've already alluded to, to be honest, is to give alternatives where possible. You know, we, we all know that session plans, however well written, never go exactly as they are written. Um, a section may take a little bit longer than we expected. We get through something a little bit more quickly than expected. Somebody throws in a really good question that you feel needs to be addressed and it can kind of throw you off a little bit. If we can give alternatives and if we can indicate where the facilitator can go a little off piste um, and where they can't, that just allows them to flex appropriately, I think. Mm. So it, it, it is about... Um, very much providing clear guidelines for the facilitator um, to make them feel secure, make them feel confident rather than putting them in a straight jacket and making them read a script, which helps nobody. Mm. I think there's some really great stuff there. The links, making links to other parts thing is, is an interesting one. And that's one uh, where it's caused me problems myself a couple of times in that uh, you make a link to something and then you edit part of your uh, training plan and then actually you've realized that, you know, there's, there's then a broken link effectively. So yeah, I think you have to be quite careful with those, but I think they are really important. Yes. Um, yeah. And it also helps, I think, the facilitators see, okay, these are the recurring themes. Mm. So if I'm going to tell a story or I'm going to throw something of my own in, um, it fits with everything else. People wouldn't see the join for want of a better analogy. Mm, mm, good. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, uh, there's something that you kind of just mentioned there that I thought was really interesting, talking about uh, the group will probably want to talk about this topic or that topic. And I think that kind of thing is, is really great to put in there because, uh, you know, if you've run this session or something similar, or if you have knowledge of the organization, then, you know, you may understand exactly where they are going to exert some pressure to move away from the session plan or spend more time than is planned on one particular topic. Uh, and so you're giving the, the facilitator that kind of heads up uh, yes. <laughs> that actually be prepared for this. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's very much about, I feel my role is about making it easy for the facilitator. I would like to think that anybody running any of my courses would not need to spend, you know, more than half a day if, if, assuming that um, obviously that they knew the subject preparing everything the other thing that i didn't mention and it's a little thing is to pull out all the resources and the materials that they need mm. and just put them in a list right at the front mm. or right at the back so they've got a one pager you know mm. i need masking tape i need a football like and mm. it's and they can just pull it all together very easily it, it's it's about ease it's ease for the facilitator it's ease for the organization definitely facilitating the facilitator's job yes yeah 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 definitely so you talked there about the benefit for the facilitator of making their preparation shorter and easier and perhaps making their job a little bit easier are there any other benefits for the facilitators themselves of working with someone else's design i i think there are actually because um being a trainer i mean even if you're in an organization it's quite a lonely job um, and particularly if you're freelance you, you never see what anybody else does um, and the great thing about being a learning designer is is that i collect ideas from great facilitators up and down the land really um, and act almost as a hub so i'm able to draw on the experience and the knowledge and the ideas of lots of great facilitators and put that into my learning my learning plans so it's a great way of trying something new and I, I have also delivered training that has been designed by somebody else and you see something in there and you think oh that's new um, mm. oh I'm not sure about that oh um, I've never run that before and yes it makes you a little bit nervous sometimes because that's that lack of control but you think actually the rest of the session plan looks sound um, I trust the person who's done it, so I'm going to give it a go. So it's a great way of and developing your own skills, developing your own toolkit, and learning new things. I think just pushing yourself out of your own comfort zone with a certain degree of certainty that it's going to be okay, and you know you always have that plan B in your mind anyway. Um, so I think it is nice sometimes to deliver something that you haven't designed yourself, um, and just to you know just just to refresh yourself all the time. And of course, the, the other thing is that um, great facilitators love to facilitate. They love to mm. be in the training room. Mm. So sitting at a desk, creating session plans and delegate workbooks and doing slides is not their idea of fun. Uh, certainly all the people that I know who love to facilitate, they would much rather have something handed to them, which they can just tweak. Um, and quite often they'll say, oh, I replace that slide with this because I like this diagram and that's fine, you know, go ahead. Um, but that's all part of their prep and they're doing the things that they enjoy and the things that where they're going to add most value as well. So I think there is, it's, um, it, it is one of those things. It's a little bit, I, I guess it's one of those disciplines that until you've done it, you don't appreciate the value. Mm. Yeah, I really like that last point. I think uh, for me, it's, it's not just about how they, uh, how, how 
train, uh, facilitators and trainers versus kind of designers uh, kind of like to do their, very, their, their respective things, but actually how, how good they tend to be at it as well. I think a lot of trainers, people who are really good in the classroom, people who've got lots of energy, people who've got, uh, you know, that real kind of ability to connect with people. Often when, when you sit them down and say, look, you've got to do this really kind of structured thing that has lots of, as we said, detail focus and thinks things through in a really kind of proactive kind of way. Um, rather than being reactive and spontaneous like they were, they're, they're good at mm. in, the, in the classroom. You know, they, they often, not in all cases, but often, uh, they're just not as naturally good at that. And you, you know, I think a lot of the time we kind of try and push people into this other box. Whereas actually, uh, if you are focusing with your skills on the design side, then you give the benefit to the people in the classroom, not just of not having to do that, but also of benefiting from the things you're good at uh, and, and getting that different kind of insight i think yeah yeah it, i think it does take the pressure off the facilitator i think they haven't mm. got to think on their feet the whole time mm. and you know we i i'm very much a believer in the 8 to 20 rule in that if you follow that session plan to within 80 percent that's going to be absolutely bob on i mean i was watching um an associate deliver a course that i'd written yesterday and I was obviously following the session plan. The timings were a little bit, you know, they didn't go exactly, but it was fine. She was covering what I wanted her to cover in more or less the way that I expected, apart from one section, which she just missed out completely. So at lunchtime, I said, oh, you know, you didn't do that bit. And she said, I, the way that I will bring it in, I will move that towards the end of the day and actually incorporate that into a large summary piece. I said, oh, yeah, I can see how that will work. So I'm fine with that because you're still covering it, but you're covering it in a way that suits your style a little bit more naturally. Um, and looking at that session plan, I thought, yep, yeah, it fits where I've put it. It also fits where she's going to do it. And it's all being covered. So that's fantastic. And, and you know, that's what I mean by the 80-20 rule. It was mm. 80% my course, but 20% hers. Mm. Um, and, we, and we all felt comfortable. And the learners were certainly no worse off for the, the change in structure. Mm. I think that's really good. I think we're talking now really about uh, this idea of facilitators being human beings and we're not trying to turn them into robots and, and, you know, and, and trying to kind of work uh, together, you know, between the the designer and the facilitator. So have you got any other tips for making that relationship work and designing in a way that facilitators are going to be able to use well? Um, I think, as I say to her, I think we've probably covered quite a lot of them off, but if I can sort of quickly summarise, if I can do anything quickly. If we know who the facilitators are going to be involved in at the start, um, they will have some pretty cool ideas as to what needs to be covered and how they're going to cover it. What they're not going to want to do is sit there and do the details. So capture all their ideas and then go away and work it up as much as you can. I think being very clear about the objectives um, and keeping those front of mind, as we said before, allows the facilitator to flex the session without going too far off piste. And as I said before, giving detailed guidance, but not writing a script. So one of the things that I tend to do is instead of putting everything in the session plan, I will sometimes do a trainer's note. So particularly if it's an exercise, so I'll just do a separate handout. This is how you run this exercise. Mm. So obviously if they're familiar with that exercise, they don't need that piece of paper, but if it's new to them, they've got that separately. I think some of the things I've already mentioned is about being clear about the purpose and the learning points of an activity. This is really useful if you're, um, as I often do, I design for slightly less experienced facilitators as well. 
So to tell them, um, these, here's some questions to ask to debrief the activity. These are the sorts of answers that you're expecting. That will just help them to kick things off in the right direction. Obviously, we can never be truly prescriptive, but that works well. Not using shorthand, um, not assuming that people know things. So as I said before, put the detail in. They can always take it out. I always like to include um, detailed uh, delegate materials as well. These days, it's perhaps less important as it used to be when I started my career, because now we've got the wonderful world of Google. Um, but if you are covering a theory or a model that maybe the trainer is not that familiar with, to have all the information at hand for them, again, it makes their life easier. Obviously, these days, we, we can send people away and, and expect them to Google it, just providing links and things. But um, it's all about that ease. It's the getting from what was in the stakeholder's head if through the brief, through what's on the page, into the facilitator's mind, to what happens in the training room, to ultimately what gets applied back at work. It's about doing what we can to make that as easy as possible. Mm, definitely. And I think if you send off send people off Googling, you're not 100% sure that they're going to get the exact same take on it as, as you have. Uh, some, some models are kind of, or some models and tools are a bit disputed or, or people have different points of view on them anyway. Yeah, and actually, that's a really good point, Terry, because sometimes I've included a really standard, well-known model and the clients come back and said, oh, actually, we call this part of the model this. It fits more with our culture. So, again, it's these little things that make all the difference that the designer can pick up that the facilitator wouldn't necessarily be aware of. Mm, excellent. So some great tips there uh, and throughout we've covered quite a lot of ground. I think, you know, one of the things that we try to do with this uh, podcast is to try and make sure that there's some really practical focus and takeaways. Um, so I'm going to try and put it into three key things that I think I've, I've, I've kind of taken from listening to all the things we've just talked about. Okay. I think, I think one is that the level of detail, if we're designing for other facilitators, uh, needs to be really good uh, and need to be really explicit about things rather than assuming or uh, making uh, you know, kind of things uh, implicit and just hoping that they're going to come across. Uh, that's come out really strongly in a few of the things you've said. Excellent. Um, I think uh, this idea of finding the right balance between a script and perhaps being too open-ended or too flexible uh, sounds really important uh, and i found it to be the case uh you know leave, giving people that, that room for flexibility but um making sure that there's that consistency and standardization um and then maybe for a third thing i think you spoke a few times kind of uh just touched on the idea of putting something in there in case uh, you know what if they say this what if they ask this uh, they're likely to want to take the session in this direction and just giving guidance or thoughts about how to respond to, to different things that might happen. Yeah, yeah. That's some of the key things that I took away. Was there anything you wanted to add in terms of really focusing people on practically how to put this into action? I think the only, well, the point is just the one thing I would reiterate again is to, if we know who the facilitators are, please do involve them because if they can see something that they've contributed in that final version, they've got that sense of ownership, which is great. Um, and then the other thing which I haven't mentioned at all is just to be mindful that it's going to take you a lot longer to design um, if it's not just for your own delivery. So you need to set aside a lot more time, a big chunk of time. Um, you, you can't just design it, you know, on one sheet of paper on the train um, on your way to a meeting. You do need to set aside proper amount of time to, to really do this thing properly and do it in detail. Mm, definitely. Good stuff. 
Okay, um, thanks very much for listening to me, Terry, on my soapbox <laughs> on that particular topic. Pleasure. It's something that, um, uh, well, one, one of the things that we bonded over, I think, when we very first met was um, we had this conversation of, well, I'll show you yours if you show me mine. Um, <laughs> and to see your session plans and to see that they were designed beautifully um, and, is, and in as much detail as mine meant that I think we connected right there and then. So it's lovely to talk to a kindred spirit, but you know that I do get on my soapbox a little bit about it. So hopefully I haven't bored you too much um, as I've waffled on about something that's very important to me. Um, so I'm hoping it's been useful to people listening. But Terry, I know you always have great thoughts um, about learning design best practice. So what's been capturing your attention recently? So this week I've had a couple of conversations with people about uh, using models and tools and theories that have been around for quite a while. And I think that's quite interesting because uh, I think there's a bit of tension. You know, you've got models and, and ideas that have been around for, for decades, things like situational leadership or Covey's uh, time management matrix or uh, uh, kind of a lot of the motivation theories like Maslow or Hertzberg or some of these kind of things. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a bit of pressure to say, oh, we've got to think of new, I've got to include in training design, new models that are, are, are recent. And I think there's a danger there on both sides. I think there's a danger that we throw out things just because they're old, even though they might be proven and they might be, uh, you know, really based in, 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 in this kind of science and the research. So that's the danger on one side. Danger on the other side is, you know, if something has been around for a long time, uh, then maybe people have already heard about it. Maybe it does start to seem a little bit old hat, even if it mm. has kind of got some, some scientific backing. So I think it's quite an interesting kind of uh, debate or, or kind of uh, tension, yeah. Yeah, so it's um, you're quite right. I mean, I've blogged about this, which I shan't um, bore you with at the moment. But um, yeah, it's something that I've wrestled with as well. So how do you and, and I, I appreciate entirely because sometimes we think that the old models aren't relevant anymore um, just because our world seems perhaps a little bit more sophisticated now than it was perhaps in the 1960s. Mm. And I think that's why some of these models are getting debunked. It's and yeah, maybe they need a refresh. So how are you addressing that in your learning design? Are you addressing it? Definitely trying to. I mean, I, I try not to reinvent the wheel just for the sake of it, but, but I guess that the, the, the key way that I try and uh, make sure that this is handled right is to try and keep up to date on those things and look for, you know, yeah, scientifically, has this been debunked or superseded? Is there something better out there now? But the, but the key thing there being better or is there some criticism that actually if I am introducing this set of ideas that I should also introduce the criticism I think I think the mm -hmm. problem really comes when you have uh, trainers or uh, tra training design that uh, people are just kind of you know introducing a model in exactly the same way as they did themselves perhaps or, or somebody before them did 20 or 30 years ago um, without any knowledge of the kind of discussion that's gone on around it in the mm -hmm. in the in the interim um, so I think if, you, if you're up to date on that and then maybe are either adapting how it's kind of explained and framed or, or perhaps getting rid of it if it really has uh, been shown to be, be not valid anymore in some way, um, then I think, you know, you can still definitely uh, consider using those models. But also, uh, I think on the other side of things, trying to, you know, always be on the lookout for, for new things and be up to date so that because I think about as, as well as the, the kind of uh, whether something's valid, there's also the thing of 
will it excite people and i think sometimes newer things do kind of excite people so yes. so yeah looking out for those things but not just putting them in because they're new and exciting ideally they need to to do the job as well yeah yeah, it, it is quite a challenge. Um, and I know I've already done a lot of talking, but um, a client I worked with a couple of years ago actually asked me to include theory X and theory Y, mm. which is probably the oldest management theory mm, on the planet. Mm, mm. And I was a little bit taken aback because I'm, I am a traditionalist, but even I don't go to that one anymore mm, because it is too simplistic. But I, I actually discussed why and... I understood where they were coming from, so I included it, um, but I was able to put a modern spin on the principles, which made it a little bit more relevant to today. Um, and because this was the very first management training these people had had, it was a very simple concept, they could get their head around it. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes it's, as you said, it's, it's offering the balance of the model to say this, this may be useful, this may be interesting, it's a, it's a starting point. Mm. I think that's really good. Uh, and I think you've introduced a really important point there, which is around thinking about the audience. So for some audiences, you know, uh, 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 the, the age of whatever we're talking about is not really going to matter because it's going to be the first time they've come across it. So it's really just on the merits. For other audiences, you know, uh, particularly maybe recent graduates, particularly if they're business graduates or, or something like that, um, you know, you, you're going to need to think, actually, have they seen this stuff? Have they already been studying it? Do we need to give them something that builds on it or something that's new? Mm. Yeah, excellent point. And, and that kind of links into the designing for the facilitators as well, because what we didn't talk at all is, is about understanding the audience. But I guess that's kind of implicit with any design that we do um, is to think about the audience. And I think that's a really, really great point, because some of the debates I get involved in online is um, around the fact that just because the facilitator doesn't agree with it or is bored with it doesn't mean to say that it's not relevant to mm. the people who it's uh, are going to be introduced to it. So yeah, really good point. Excellent. So I think that's all that we've got time for this week. It would be really great to hear from some of you who are listening. Uh, if there's any comments you have about any of the stuff that you've heard today or things you'd like to hear on the show in the future, it would be really good to hear about them. We'd love some discussion on the podcast's Facebook page. So just search for the Training Design Podcast on Facebook and let us know there your thoughts on the podcast itself, on the topics we've been discussing, or on anything else you think we'd like to hear about. Uh, also, if you want to connect with either or both of us individually, that'd be great. Uh, you can get in touch with either of us by searching for us on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Terry Pierce, uh, Sheridan is Sheridan Webb. You can also have a look at my website, uh, 360learningdesign.com, and get in touch with me through there. You know, it would be great to hear from you. Uh, Sheridan, did you want to say anything about other ways people can get in touch with you? Yeah, the, uh, the easiest way probably to find me is to do a Facebook search for the Training Designers Club. We have a free group that you're very welcome to join as well as VIP paid options. And Terry's in there too. I am. <laughs> and there's plenty of notes along uh, with the podcast, uh, probably on the screen right in front of you about how to get in touch and uh, some accompanying notes about some of the things we've covered today. So until next time, I've been Terry Pierce. And I've been Sheridan Webb. Thanks very much for listening.